Well, uh, Dale, president and CEO of the Canadian Sports Institute, let, let's establish that. What exactly? Give me your you know, elevator speech on what the Canadian Sports Institute. Oh, I run into you somewhere and I ask you, what is it? Tell me about the Canadian Sports Institute. We do two things. One is from a performance of the athlete standpoint, we do everything we can on a day-to-day basis to make sure they're prepared for international competition, whether that's uh, world championships or, or Olympic games, but basically trying to make sure they have the science and medicine, all that expertise they need around them to be ready on race day. And right. then race day, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. Secondly, we're trying to make sure that um, as they're doing this, we're developing good, responsible, contributing citizens. So people that will you know, contribute back to, the, to mm-hmm. the community, be leaders, eventual leaders in the community. So trying to develop not just the performer, but the or sorry, not just the performance, but the performer also. So if we if we talked, you know, 25 years ago, would that second point have been part of the conversation, or has that evolved in, in the time? No. When we first started, uh, I would say there was two things that we were trying to address. Um, one was what we called in the day the podium problem. So in the, mm. you know, up to the early 90s, we were, as Canada, we were kind of, Fifth, six, seven, eight. We we just were not yeah. consistently on the podium. So one of the ideas with a multi-sport center that, that we were uh, was to try and make sure that we address part of that. But secondly, it was to try and look after the athletes. So um, I would say previous to that, unfortunately, once you weren't part of a national team or you weren't competing, mm-hmm. um, the system kind of threw you out. So when we first started, philosophically, that was a big part of what we tried to do is, yes, focus on the performance, but also make sure we're, we're helping them in their transition uh, in sport and then from sport, beyond, or from sport to a new career. As you've, been journeying, as you've gone down this path, as you've taken this journey, how much of this has been, you know, a little from here, a little from there, how much of this has been made in Canada solutions to our issues? Well, I would say initially um, the people that suggested we start a, um, a multi-sport institute mm. um, looked at some of the things that were going on internationally. So I'm going back now to the early 90s, yep. and there was less money for uh, – the, the, the money for sport after the Olympics in 88 was going down. Um, they were looking to see what other countries were doing. So they basically said, let's try and do this multi-sport center in Canada. So that was one of the things that I would say we did steal a lot from mm-hmm. – um, you know, the Australians from what the Germans were doing, what other countries were doing in terms of a multi-sport basis. And then secondly, we did a lot of um, consultation with Norway, who were very big on kind of the life outside of sport. So philosophically, I fell by the name of uh, Tor Remiorti was a guy we, we met with a lot. Right. He was over here a number of times to try and help us a little bit uh, to make sure what we're doing there was, was you know, t- showing care and concern for the athlete on a 24-hour basis, not just the two or three hours that they were going to compete. Interesting that Norwegians, here we are all these years later, are still, you know, somewhat on the cutting edge, aren't they? They are. I, I think from the standpoint of what they're trying to do for the person, yeah. um, they're very big. Now, they're good in the performance, certainly on the winter side, but they really do have a lot of uh, time and effort into programs for, um, you know, to, to make sure that they're, they're helping them with, the, uh, as I said, the career transition, mm-hmm. to help them with the preparation for job interviews, to help them with financial planning, whatever that might be. So yeah. that was a philosophy of ours from the very beginning. But secondly, um, I would say the program has really evolved a lot. And certainly in recent years, mm-hmm. the, the game plan program now, we call it, yep. um, has really been elevated. Was was there ever a, a a conversation, a thought that this might be the Canadian Winter Sports Institute or the Canadian Summer Sports Institute? Because it is both. I mean, it serves both both yeah. sides, right? Yeah, 
absolutely that was some of the discussion at the time but yeah. we also said we were more than just winter sport when you look at at uh, we, we are known certainly in this area for winter sport and mm-hmm. because of 88 we had lots of good facilities and a lot of the athletes that were here were, were uh, winter sport based but we consistently had good baseball players we had good basketball players good volleyball players good swimmers so yeah. we said we can't we can't do it all. We need to like be focused a little bit. So what happened was we started with a, a heavy focus on winter, but winter and summer, Olympic and Paralympic. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we created a network of these across the country. So there's summer and winter across the country now. How, Dale, how difficult or how, maybe it's not difficult, maybe it's an opportunity. The addition of new sports, how do you go about adding them into the repertoire? How do you go about encompassing, encompassing new athletes into these programs? Well, that is a difficult one because there isn't necessarily any new money to do some of the things mm-hmm. that they need. So when you mm-hmm. look at you know, one of the summer sports that's going to be added for, um, for Tokyo is climbing. Yeah. Um, not that we have a lot of climbers in Canada, but that's a, that's a new sport. So if there's climbers, we've got to figure out how we can provide some support for them. But there's no new money to provide support for them. So it's right. got to come out of the existing pot. And that's why working together on a multi-sport basis will, will help with that. It so just makes you a little bit more efficient. This is probably a good off-ramp for us to take on funding. Tell them, how do you go about keeping the doors open, keeping the heat going, and yeah. keeping everybody employed? Well, um, always a challenge, <laughs> but uh, we, we're very fortunate. We have some very good partners, so we, we get a significant uh, commitment from the federal government yep. who provides money um, through a group called Own the Podium, but it's the federal government support. Uh, and they were there from day one, along with the Canadian Olympic Committee, and then thirdly, the uh, Coaching Association of Canada, because some of the stuff we do is for coaches also. Yeah. So those three were there from day one and have been with us for almost 25 years now. Um, and then we have some local partners. So we have our provincial government, which um, needs, in my personal view, uh, to invest a lot more than they have. Mm-hmm. Again, based on the importance, I think, of getting people active and the importance of, of sport in this province. And then secondly, compared to what other provinces are doing, we're, we're uh, quite a ways behind. But then we have some good um, other partners. The university's been a very good partner from yep. a space standpoint in particular and other services. And then Windsport's been a good partner, obviously, with the facilities and support that we've had from them over time. Then the, kind of the seventh source is, is our own fundraising. So whether we can um, get some money from corporations d- uh, downtown, whether we can sell back some of our services to other teams or other clubs or right. you know, deeper down the system, those are other places where we make money. And athletes as well, right? Because you would have non-Olympic athletes training here? Um, we do, but uh, because one of the criteria we have is any carded athlete, so right. that's an athlete that's getting some federal support, right. uh, we have an obligation to provide some level of service to them. So there's some of those that are not Olympic uh, right. athletes. Right. That said, most of them, um, I'm going to say 95% or more of the athletes we deal with would be either Olympic or Paralympic. Okay. Because I'm just thinking of Bo Levi Mitchell and Alex Singleton and, and other Calgary area-based professional athletes that pop their head in every Yeah, they, well. they do occasionally pop their head in, and I think that's, uh, that's very good for us. Um, yeah. But it's, it's not something uh, like our, our prime mandate is more on the Olympic and Paralympic Correct. side. Right. Then tell me about recruiting to the, 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 all of the different professionals that you have in here. I mean, we've been talking to doctors and, you know, nutritionists. You have some of the best of the best. Tell me about recruiting them and bringing them to Calgary. Well, first of all, there were some of them were here already. When we first started, uh, partially because of some of that expertise that was here in the 88 or pre-88 mm-hmm. games, 
So people like uh, David Smith and, and others were here. But then we did. Once we, once we started, it was an attractive place for people to come because in the early days, we were the only one in the country. Yeah. So sports wanted to move here. Some other people wanted to move here to get involved in, in the Olympic movement. So, you know, we, we do have some absolutely excellent people. I, I think that's been real a real um, you know, great thing to come to work every day and, and be able to work with people that are, are really expert in their field. So they will come here because they want to work. They, they, they're passionate about Canada, first of all. They're passionate about sport. They're passionate about trying to help athletes get better. Mm-hmm. So they're willing to come here to, to work with them, and then it's our job, um, in spite of the circumstances we might be in economically, to try and make sure that we can retain them, that we can give them some flexibility to make sure they stay with us. And there's that word again that I, I think I've used in most of the conversations, creativity. Tell me about the role of creativity. Yeah. Well, it, <laughs> From a, from a retention of staff standpoint, that is, a you know, tr- so trying to make sure that when they're ro- on the road, because a lot of them are on the road for many, many days of mm-hmm. the year, 100 days of the year. Uh, so you've got to make sure that you're helping them with their own self-care so yeah. that so that they're making sure they're looking after themselves and making sure that they're at the end of the day, they got time for hobbies and family and friends and kind of look after themselves. But um, you're just always trying when you can't compensate them, maybe the way you would like to, you're always trying to say, how can we be a little bit more flexible uh, in their time? How can we you know, be receptive to them working maybe at a distance at times, um, being pretty generous to them in terms of time off during the, during the week if mm-hmm. they want to, you know, if, if they've been away for a long time, then basically I think they're, we're trusting them to take the time off that they need to kind of keep refreshed. Um, so it's not like they're, they're punching a clock all the time. And then the facility itself, Windsport, and the creativity that's been shown there. I mean, it, I'm, I'm sure if I was here a couple of years ago when you first moved in, the, the place has changed, right? It has changed a lot. And, and so we always thought we were part of a multi-sport facility yeah. when we worked at and kind of lived at the university. But this has been an absolute, um, uh, I'm, I'm going to use the word blessing maybe for us, because we have all the people now in close proximity. So yeah. it's very easy. Whereas when we're at the university, you, you maybe bumped into some of your colleagues as you're headed down for coffee. Now you've got to bump into them when you're just because they're sitting beside you. So yeah. that environment where people are so close together and, and are able to share and communicate back and forth has been a, a, a great thing for Canadian athletes. Am I, am I correct in using the term legacy? Right? Is this is this a legacy of eighty eight? Well, we live the legacy every day in terms of being able to be in a facility like this. Yeah. This per se is not a, a legacy from eighty eight, um, but in terms of the bobsleigh track and the loose track mm-hmm. and and just the environment that we're in is is certainly a legacy. The new facility, the Mark and McPhail Center, is is not a legacy no, per se. But yeah. you could have the the conversation about whether it. You know, if this wasn't here, would this be yeah, there, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we we are we were beneficiaries of of uh, what happened, and, sure. and and so for the last thirty years, basically, uh, Calgarians and Canadians have been able to access uh, great facilities at really no cost to the to the taxpayer since '88 because of the success of those games and the endowment dollars that were there. So Dale is the guy at the top. Um, let's look backwards. You look at from where this started to where it's come. Where the success has been. Where where do you look at your successes? Well, first of all, from a performance standpoint, yeah. um, I think there's been some great performances from athletes. Whether that was Michael Smith as a as a decathlete mm. uh, that competed in in Atlanta in '96, Kyle Schufelt, um, you know the the women's hockey team. Someone like Becky Scott was a was an athlete that. Um, 
you know, committed to to uh, her sport for many, many years, and it mm. took many, many years for her to get her her gold medal eventually. But I would say there's lots of great examples of athletes that uh, have performed. But maybe more importantly, I think there's lots of them that are now business leaders or community leaders that are are giving back, whether that's through Habitat for Humanity or or um, you know other other uh, events, the Fast and Female as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's lots of them who are giving back to the community based on uh, their I'm going to say positive involvement in sport and their passion to try and make sure that other other young kids uh, have some of the same opportunities. T- take a look. And by no means are we done, but just take a look ahead. Um, what do you see as the opportunities that that lay for for your staff for your facility? What 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 where do you see the growth coming? Well, I, I think the growth is going to come um, again in in uh, the, the performances. Like again, that day to day, that preparation part of it, and what we do daily, daily from a, a monitoring of the athlete standpoint. I think we're going to continue to make a significant contribution to performance of athletes across many, many sports. So that's that's one thing. But and we got to make sure that we keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to keep innovative. Got to keep looking at new ways to do things because. It is a pretty competitive world out there. So that's, a, that's the one thing. we got to make sure we are always uh, doing the most current and, and kind of innovative things to try and give the Canadian athletes a, an advantage in a, in a fair and ethical manner. Um, secondly, I would say just what we're trying to do outside of sport and trying to make sure that we're reaching a little bit deeper down the system and yeah. making sure that we are not just working with, with athletes at the top end, but we're able to have an impact on some of those younger athletes and hopefully help them progress through. Um, that, that's really, I think, where the, the future is, is looking a little bit deeper down, a little bit longer term, rather than just kind of at the top of the pyramid. So let's dig down on that one, because that's where I really wanted to spend some time with you, because you've seen the evolution of the athlete. Where do you see, and, and boy, this is a blanket statement if there ever was one, but where do you see the, the modern Canadian athlete, or if you will, where does sport fit for the average Canadian these days? Because these are the, you deal with the elite, yeah. but they come from somewhere. They do, and unfortunately, I think that base is getting smaller and smaller, just mm-hmm. based on other competition that's that's out there, whether that's e-sport, or whether that's just other activities for them, or whether it's the cost, and right. they can't participate. So we've just got to make sure we're doing a better job of identifying athletes, I'm going to say at a little bit younger age, and again, not necessarily making them specialized, but but forcing them to be better um, a- athletically, right? So multi-sport experiences at a at a much younger age, and just so so that they're good all-round athletes, as opposed to specializing in that particular sport. So I think that's where we really have to head. Uh, if you and I could figure that one out, we'd be rich men. Uh, that is the, that's the rub right now, isn't it? It, it is. I think most people think you got to start at at two years of age or whatever yeah. it is if you want to be the best. But I would say there's there's just so many great examples of athletes that um, participated in three or four or five mm-hmm. sports. And uh, I think there's lots of evidence that say if you specialize early, you're going to burn out or you're going to yeah. leave the sport uh, on, a, on a sour note or you're going to get injured more regularly. So that whole idea of general athleticism, I think, is something that we, we do need to try and get um, you know, infused in people's minds, but it is a difficult one. So the, the S with two lines through it, the dollars, the monetization. Mm-hmm. You need funds to keep this running. You need funds to, to, to create winning athletes. That goes without saying. But it's the funds early on in sport that worry me the most, Dale, that, you know, mm-hmm. is it, are we forcing parents to make decisions mm-hmm. with potential athletes just because they don't want to follow a path that 
yeah. might be unattainable. Yeah, I, I think that we're become elitist from a financial standpoint way too early. Yeah. Um, and so we likely lose half of our base uh, just based on, on cost. Half? half yeah. I, I would think so. I, yeah. I think when you, when you look at the dropout rate of kids, um, yeah. you know, I'm going to say between like the 12 and 14 or in t- 10 to 14 anyway, it's, it's significant. So we lose a pretty good pool of athletes that um, maybe late matures mm. or maybe the families can't afford it. But the, so the cost, I think, is a, is a big deterrent to, to many athletes progressing. I think we should put this out. I know a little bit about your history, so I know one of the sports you were involved with has always had that pyramid issue, and that is probably more pronounced now than mm-hmm. ever. These are, in many ways, these are not new problems. We're still kind of competing and fighting the battles that we've fought traditionally, aren't we? Yes, and, and I'm not sure we've made a lot of progress on them, unfortunately. No. That's, the, that's the real issue, and... You know, so certainly in some sports, whether it's soccer or hockey, some of those bigger sports, they, they do maybe have a pretty good pyramid, although I think it's shrinking. Yeah, I do There's too. other sports that we deal with, the bobsleigh and, and you know, skeleton and luge as an example. We would call them, rather than pyramid sports, they're kind of pencil sports. You have, you have yeah. very few athletes. So yeah. when you do see some good ones, you've got to try and make sure that you're providing a, a good environment for them and some good basic support for them so they can continue to progress. So, uh, you know, this was if we had this conversation two or three years ago, I probably would ask you about parents. I, I want to ask you about support networks because I think that's maybe the more important term. What do you see as, as dealing with the top athletes? I'm assuming you're assuming a lot of athletes in here that already come in with lots of voices in their ears and, and lots of people in that in that network. Well, they, they do have a good support usually with their, their teammates, and so it's important for them to have good yeah. training partners to, to work with. But yeah. I, I would say as we go deeper down the system, you're seeing more and more impact of of parents. Um, and so part of our job is to maybe educate those parents about why it's important to try many different sports and mm. why it's important not to specialize too early. But yeah, they, they do have, and I, I think the, the, you know, there's just lots of, lots of reasons why lots of people talking about, you've got to specialize, you got to go to all these different camps, you know, mm-hmm. you gotta, um, and I would say the, the better athletes today are ones that are are, have better athleticism as opposed to... Sure. So we, we have some very good athletes, I think, whether they're skiers or hockey players, but they're not necessarily good athletes. They're, they're good in their sport, but athletically, I think there's lots of places where they can improve. Yeah, and, and I know I'm chasing my tail because, I, uh, you know, like you said on a couple of occasions, it's not new and, and we all know it, but it seems like one of the most difficult mm. things to affect change in. Well, it is, and I... I I think it's partially parents are just trying to make sure they provide every opportunity they yeah. can for their kids, yeah. and I understand that. But at the same time, we can do some damage by by doing that also. But because just because your neighbor is going yeah. to a, you know five different summer camps doesn't mean in the same sport mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't mean you have to. But I think the feeling is, Al, if if that if that parent is providing that opportunity for their child, then I've got to do that for my child. I think that can be dangerous. Dale, I want to ask again from your vantage point at the top of of the Canadian Sports Institute. I want to ask you about some trends we're seeing in sport. One is what which is beautiful. Um, maybe now more so than ever, it, this we're getting closer to equality here, 50-50. I mean, you look at the mm-hmm. last couple of Olympics, yep. our country's been led by women. Yes. Uh, are we are we there? It's two older white guys talking about it, but are we, are we getting better in terms of giving opportunities across the board for everybody? I think one of the reasons why the Canadian women have done so well over the last couple of decades yeah. is because we have, in Canada, provided lots of opportunity. I think we, we have been pretty good at providing the same opportunities for males and females when it comes to competition. So mm. 
but but the women have outsparkled the men by, yeah. by a long ways in terms of performances. So, right. And I think it's because uh, we do provide opportunities early, and secondly, many other countries that we're competing against don't necessarily do that. So once they start to open up, and once they once they start providing some of those opportunities, it may be more difficult for us to stay on top. But Today, I think we're reaping the benefits of being a pretty open society. In terms of para-athletes, are we, are we having success? I mean, probably safe to say we're not at 50-50 yet or equality yet, but are we, are we further along than we've been? Yes, and I think the, the London Olympics really elevated the whole para um, profile within the, okay. within the population. They did a great job of, of profiling the Paralympics in, in London. Um, but I, I would say, again, today in Canada, we give them the same opportunities. They, mm-hmm. they have they have lots of, of support. They have lots of different opportunities to compete, um, and I and I would say we have w- with our with our institute here. We try and look more at the performance, yep. the ability, not the disability. So we're trying to make sure that there's athletes, whether it's winter or summer, Olympic or Paralympic, uh, try and help them with their performance. And as I've said a couple of times, help them with their life outside and beyond. So we don't necessarily look at them as, as para-athletes. They're just athletes that um, have great ability, and that's what we're trying and, to focus on. And facilities on. are... Uh, they're accessible, yes. Okay. I, I think certainly around here, uh, especially with a new facility yes. here, yeah. they're, they're accessible. But I would say that's one thing the para movement has done for the country, and I think maybe across the world, is just tried to make sure that uh, a lot more of our facilities, a lot more of the opportunities are accessible to athletes with a disability. Yeah, I would suggest for a major city that uh, was thinking about hosting a, an Olympics that that would go a long way in, in bringing them up in their accessibility yeah. throughout society, one might say. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. It's, there's some challenges. Sure. I, I haven't had to go around in the middle of the, you know, in the snow in a, in a wheelchair. I don't know how they do that at times, but I think yeah. the city is, is pretty accessible. Yes. Um, coaches. Again, back to things, societal changes that we've seen. I, I'm curious about your your what you see from your institute. I mean, I know that you, you have uh, the degrees and, and, and are working on coach education, but boy, that position in, in the hierarchy of sport has had to evolve rather quickly, hasn't it? Well, it has. And so I think we do some very good things in terms of education of, of coaches and trying to prepare them for yeah. what they're in. Uh, most of the stuff that we're, we're doing is, I'm going to say, at the, at the, uh, more at the top end. Mm-hmm. But certainly uh, the role of the coach today, I think, is they make a tremendous difference. They're the ones that really make sure that the kids are having an enjoyable experience. And if they don't, they won't continue to participate. So yeah. I think there's lots of, of uh, st- uh, pressures on the coaches today because, unfortunately, um, down the system, there's more and more pressure for them to win, um, as opposed to just making sure they're trying to develop the athletes and then have those athletes have a good, enjoyable experience. But there is pressure on them to win, and I don't think that's a, a good thing. I don't think success in youth is, is necessarily a good thing. No, and, and it seems to me that this was a conversation we used to have about officials, referees, mm. and, and such, that the re- recruitment retention. I get the sense that we're almost beginning to have that with coaches, right? Yeah, at one time, I and I go back to... 20 some years ago in hockey that yeah. I would say there's a 50% turnover in the the new officials on a on an annual basis. Absolutely. I think we're we're now um, coaches are under the same maybe not the same type of abuse per se uh, verbal abuse in mm-hmm. particular that that officials get but I think they're under a lot of pressure to to perform at a very young age and that's not a that's not a good good thing for the development of sport. But we've also kind of eliminated the yeller and the screamer and and the and the kind of the singular 
focused type of leader that you have to yeah. be a more well-rounded leader to be with athletes now yeah i i think the the youth of today yeah they're not going to respond to the to the yellers and the, and the no. screamers so yeah i think you have to be a lot more empathetic a lot more um a lot more patient a lot more understanding of where the young athletes are at and, and different approaches depending on on what athlete you're talking to whereas in the past the uh, you know, the kind of more of the dictator or the yeller and screamer um, had just had one approach. Now today, I think you have many different approaches. If you're going to be a successful coach and successful meaning, uh, provided a good, enjoyable environment for the athletes. What, what strikes me about all the conversations that I've had at the Canadian Sports Institute, but even with even in this one here, is how things have changed and evolved from just simply, well, we need more medals to we need to take care of the athlete when they mm-hmm. start. We need to take care of the athlete when they leave. That there's a far yeah. greater emphasis on totality. Well, there is because the medal in and of itself is worth two hundred dollars. It's what <laughs> yeah. the, it's yeah. what the medal does. Yeah. In terms of of inspiring people at all ages to do different things, to stretch yeah. themselves, to to try and be the best. So in my mind, uh, we're trying we're trying to use that medal or use that that performance mm-hmm. to. Um, you know, impact people of all different ages and all different abilities. And, and if, if we can get people to try and be the best they can in whatever their endeavor is, I think that's, a, that's an important thing. So it's, it's much more than the medal. It's what the medal does. It's the kind of the glow of the medal that's important. So we've established that, well, you know, wind sport and, and is not directly – this is legacy influence from 1988. Mm-hmm. A lot of what we're talking about the, in motion because mm-hmm. of 88. What could another – Olympics do for a facility like this or this type of thinking, this type of programming, this type of uh, opportunity for Canadian athletes? So I would say that sport in this country has been built on the back of games. Mm -hmm. Um, Anytime we have a games, and we've had eight major international games in Canada since, uh, since the Montreal Olympics, but anytime there's a games, there's usually an infusion of money, whether it's for programming or certainly for facilities. So I think a, um, a games would absolutely uh, elevate sport again in this country, but it would it would help with not only the the um, I guess the refreshing of some of the facilities, but in in many cases expanding some of the facilities that we need because there's new sports now that we didn't have in in '88. It, the the number of sports, the events, has more than doubled since '88. So it would absolutely put Canada, I think, on the map, put Calgary on the map. Um, but it would provide, I would say, another 10 years of support for Canadian athletes and coaches. Yeah, and to, to me, it's also part of the conversation that needs to be had is, you know, up into 2026. But I'm curious what you think the vision of, of something like this might be after 26 and beyond. Yeah. Uh, expansion, you know, more international flavor. What what could we see here? Well, I think that one of the things that, that we may have to look at is what do we do to attract um paying athletes so that could be from other countries as an example i know i know there's several countries now several of the institutes around the world would be very open to international athletes coming in and training there because they're paying in the you know for the facility rental they're paying for accommodation and meals and some of the services that they get we don't necessarily have the accommodation and meals in Mm -hmm. canada that other places would have but I, I would say down the road, we may have to start looking at, can we attract some of these other international caliber athletes um, if, here for training, but do it for revenue generation and do it to make sure the facilities are open all the time for, for top-end athletes. Last one for you. Um, where do you put this facility versus other nations, other facilities around the world, what you're doing? 
Well, I, I think I, I think it's um, I've had an opportunity to see lots of other places mm-hmm. in the world, but th- this is absolutely one of the best. It is. And now the other sp- other centers, maybe other institutes may focus on aquatic sports or, mm-hmm. you know, some other other areas. But I would say based on the facilities we have, um, the proximity of the facilities to where they can train, where they can get their medical support, where they do their physiological testing, there's there's no better place in the world. Uh, so we are pretty, pretty blessed. Um, so I, we are we're fortunate to be where <laughs> we're at.